Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rag Squad and welcome to your favourite football podcast. We are back for another week. This is Ranks FC and my name is Jack Collins. I will be your host today and joining me as ever is the rank of Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Hello, mate. And our transfer guru man on the ground, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How's it all going? Are we all good? What a weekend, hey? Mm, what been a weekend. busy, isn't it? Been what busy. What a weekend. Lots of goals, which were good for some teams and really not good for some other teams. <laughs> yeah, and which leads us quite nicely onto the explanation of what we're going to do today because yeah. everybody is talking about Manchester United. So we thought we'd do the same. Uh, we're going to be looking at some problems that Manchester United have, ranking those problems and also ranking solutions to them, trying to fix things at Old Trafford while everything remains in the air. And Dean, we'll come to you first in a minute about how that things are looking right now, what the situation is. But before we get on to all things United, because this is going to be a big one, it is time for things we love. And Sam, why don't you kick us off this week? Sure. Okay. Start on a lighter note. And my thing I love this week is it's been roughly one week since the Football Manager 2022 beta uh, was supplied to the public. And this is always basically like Christmas for me. It's like Christmas morning when the new football manager comes out, get straight into it, have a look at it. It's an incredibly important tool for me anyway, just for for work purposes, but also just enjoying it. It's something that is so easy to do and so easy to play on the sofa while Rach is watching season three of You, which I don't care about, you know, that sort of thing. So um, this week, you can still get it in the beta phase. You can just go and buy it and, and get it immediately and the full release will be sometime in November, but it's out. And uh, if you are thinking about playing it or if you've never played a football manager before, I'll give you one tip for the beta. Don't start that dream save on the beta. You know, don't start with your beloved club. Don't do your your five Champions League country hopping dynasty. Don't take Torquay United to the Champions League because the beta is a beta for a reason, right? There are some problems with it. There are a few kinks. There are a few glitches. Just go and pick a team that you can win some games with and you can explore the new functions. I've picked Shakhtar Donetsk this time around for the beta. Last year, it was PSV Eindhoven. As soon as the main game is out, I'll ditch them and I'll do something else. But for now, my Shakhtar are 15 points clear at the top of the Ukrainian Premier League at Christmas. And we've signed so many Brazilians. What you're saying is you're better than Roberto De Zerbi. Is, uh-huh. that, is that what you're telling me? In this digital edition of football... <laughs> Yes, exactly. I am, I am exa- I am definitely, definitely better. I'd like it if Manor Solomon could score a few more goals. Um, yeah. He doesn't really score for me. And he's trying to leave. Um, he's, he's, he's on the transfer list by request and he won't, he, he won't score. Um, and no one wants to buy him as a result, but he's on the transfer list. So it's a bit of a, a, bit of a perplexing one. And you'll be pleased to know, Jack, that I am, if nothing else, consistent. Day one, I transfer listed Andrew Piatov. <laughs> and he has, and he hasn't come anywhere near my team. He hasn't played a single minute. He's not eligible for the under 19s He's not allowed to play any friendlies. He is asked to come off the transfer list three times, and all three of those requests have been denied. Get out! 
Okay, well, at least Trubin knows that his spot is secure uh, in Sam Toy's Shaq Dardanesque as opposed to <laughs> the real-life version. Yes, the FM2022 beta is out, and we're very excited about it. So, Dean, on to you. What's your thing we love? The thing I love, um, and you two already know this, but I'll just share the love here. It's the Premier League title race. This is going to be unbelievable this season. It's the highest quality competition for the trophy we have ever seen. I'm pretty sure of that at this point. This weekend, Chelsea 7, Norwich 0. Brighton 1, Man City 4. Bear in mind that Man City started the day one position below Man City. Man United 0, Liverpool 5. Look, in any other season, if Chelsea, City or Liverpool were this good, they'd win the league. But... These teams are so difficult to separate because every week one of them raises the bar and the others match it. That Liverpool v Man City game showed how good the standard of football is. And to be honest, I just hope that all three of these teams can have their best players fit for as much of this campaign as is possible because it's going to be complete entertainment. And I think we're going to be in for an exciting end like was it 2018-2019 when Liverpool got to 97 points, but they didn't win the league. They only came second because Man City got 98 points. Like, that's the kind of finale I'm looking here. Maybe we get a 98, 97, 96. I don't know how it's going to end exactly, but we're going to get some high numbers and it's going to be very, very hard for for the fans of those teams to take that don't win it because they're going to be watching some of the best football they've ever watched. Yeah, it's really intriguing. And, and I think it's nice to, to reference that 18-19 season where we saw two teams of immense quality going head-to-head, Sam. This is... Three teams of immense quality going to head to head. And it's very rare that you see something like this, especially in the Premier League. I don't think I've seen this before. Not between three. Not I've between... seen it in the Super League last year in Turkey, actually. But apart from that. Of course. Apart from that. Oh, who could forget? <laughs> <laughs> who could forget you know that saying? epic title race? Yeah, I don't think we've seen this between three teams in the Premier League. It's, it's either a runaway leader or it's a good battle between two, isn't it? I don't think three teams have... Well, first of all, yeah. That, that 18-19 season, it did set the bar for these two teams, uh, Man City and Liverpool. And then Chelsea have gone ahead and joined them. They've picked up a world-class coach as well, which is setting them apart. And it's absolutely incredible to watch. I did actually just spend a little bit of time last night just thinking about this, just 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 this, this Premier League season, this top four, you know, from Manchester United's struggles, or, and, but star-studded squad, all the way through into this perfectly coached Chelsea side, this perfectly coached Liverpool side. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant Man City side with a resurgent Bernardo Silva. There's so much entertainment and so much to like about what we're watching right now. It is incredible. Yeah. And and as you say, you know, three of anybody's top five coaches in the world, right? In Tuchel Klopp and, and Pep Guardiola. You're, you're talking about three of, of anyone's top five. It doesn't matter who you are. If you don't have the one, all of those three in your top five coaches in the world, you're lying to yourself. And that in itself makes for a really intriguing end, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Um, You know what? Who's also in my top five coaches? Antonio Conte. Hmm. Well, we'll come to him. We'll come to him. (laughs) Let's let's hold back on that one a little bit because uh, I've got one more thing we love from this weekend. And after what was a reticent start to La Liga's season, uh, I was lucky enough to spend last weekend in Spain, in Zaragoza. Uh, And I got to see 
one of the best La Liga match weeks in, in recent memory. There were 38 goals across 10 games in La Liga, five red cards. So we're averaging 3.8 goals and 0.5 red cards a game. But there were also just some amazing storylines. Valencia going in to injury time, 2-0 down to Mallorca and somehow rescuing a point, drawing 2 all. Someone sent off in the 100th minute. Mallorca, just unbelievable scenes. A really good game between Elche and Espanyol as well, which felt like they were going to, Espanyol were going to do it and, and, and kind of peg back. This absolute crazy, crazy contest between Sevilla and Levante. But Sevilla did their best to chuck away a win and, and ended up winning through it 5 3. And Oli Torres scored an absolute crackerjack. Then we had El Clasico, which is probably the worst game of the weekend. And, <laughs> and that's saying something, probably right? Was. That is saying something. El Clasico is probably the worst game of La Liga's weekend. And it was El Clasico at the camp now and and Real Madrid getting a massive victory there Betis were 2-0 up against Rayo Vallecano threw that away was 2-0 uh, and squeezed the win at the death which is lovely and then probably the best game Atleti against Real Sociedad uh, first versus second at the start of the weekend and and so it proved uh, a, a really really intriguing enthralling contest that Atleti pulled back from 2-0 down so just wanted to give a shout out because there's been a lot of criticism of La Liga so far this year, I think, and and rightfully so in in many ways. But ultimately, watching this weekend and getting to watch it in Spain as well, just remarkable. A really, really entertaining weekend of football. You missed out the best bit. Angel Montoro's 40-yard chip in the 90th minute to rescue a point for Granada <laughs> on Friday night. Okay, all right, there you go. What I knew you were going to bring it up. It's an amazing finish. What's the keeper doing? Oh, yeah, no idea. Is. Why is so far off his line? Celta Vigo got a really, really good 3-0 win as well last night. So, you know, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. But a really good La Liga weekend uh, and one I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention because La Liga's been suffering, I think. Suffering across the across the course of the season, not been getting much love. There's been a lot of love for the Premier League, a lot of love for Serie A, um, but not so much for La Liga. So I wanted to just point that out as a very, very entertaining weekend. Nice um, of them to that, join the party, eh? It is. It is nice of them to join the party. I was delighted, absolutely delighted to see that going on. And with that, we will move things onwards. After the break, we are going to be talking all things Man United. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to talk all things Manchester United. And I suppose the first place to start here, Dean, is to get a status update on just where we are. Bear in mind, we're recording this on Tuesday about lunchtime. So this is where we are currently in the simulation. Yeah, so um, it's been interesting. and It's been hard, to be honest, to get a gauge on it because for most of Monday... The usual people that that give you briefings on these things were not doing that. Um, all fell silent around United, and that led really to a lot of speculation, even more speculation that Solskjaer could be on his way out. Talk of meetings going on with the Glazers and all sorts, which obviously happens anyway. They have to have these meetings between directors of the club. It seems like like the people are now starting to talk. Solskjaer is still at United. He's kind of safe. Is not as safe as he has been for the past couple of years. I think for the first time, it's fair to say that there's been consideration over whether they do need to change manager. They haven't said that, but the fact that they even fell quiet, the fact that there are clearly meetings going on about who would come in for the role now means that this is a new position for United. Solskjaer's still there. He's still got a chance to turn this around. Probably going to be in charge for the Tottenham game as it stands. If they lose that, I think he's done. But as it stands right now, yeah, Solskjaer's the Man United manager and it looks like he'll 
<laughs> he'll live to fight another day. It's a bit of a strange one, that, isn't it? Because, you know, there's, there's levels to this that you look at and you go, okay, contingency plans, et cetera, et cetera, that's fine. But if Solskjaer wins this game against Tottenham 1-0 or 2-1 in a really scrappy game, you know, does that change anything? You look at when Mourinho was sacked, and I know the feeling around the club is different, right? He was sacked, if I'm not mistaken, after a 3-1 loss to Liverpool that left United sixth in the table. You know, this is a 5-0 loss at home to Liverpool that's left United further down the table than that. And I don't know if if I was a United fan, a win against Tottenham would rectify that situation for me. Now, that's not me saying that the manager should be sacked. I think that's a, a discussion we'll have as we get along through this part of the podcast, whether it's time to move on, whether you can say thanks very much, you've done you know an important job for the club and now, it's, now you've taken us as far as you can. Or is it just kind of hang on and see what happens because it feels like this is how Sosha got the job in the first place. It was just hang on and see what happened until, until someone went, oh, just give him a new contract. And that happened again at the start of this year. Yeah, I mean, this is how his legacy has been built. You go all the way back to PSG and and that last minute goal that, that saw them off, was it Rashford? Um, From the spot. It's It's kind of been that way since then and it's rolled on and on and you know, would under any other circumstances, Solskjaer does not have the credentials to be the coach of Man United. We know that, right? Everybody in the world knows that. Solskjaer himself knows that if he hadn't scored a goal for them in 1999 that won him that trophy, he wouldn't be in this position right now. But he's a legend, so he's been given special permission to manage the biggest football club in the world. It kind of is ridiculous that you can go from managing Mould and Cardiff and then be Man United boss for three years or whatever it ends up being. But this is where we are. He's, look, considering his experience, he's done pretty well, to be honest. Came second in the Premier League last year, has raised the standard of the team. There's been some unbelievable performances at times. Their counter-attacking is up there with some of the greatest teams we've seen in the past couple of years, not of all time. But is it enough right now? Probably not. It's probably not enough. And I think United are starting to see that, starting to get towards the end of it, unless he digs out a win against Tottenham, then a win against Atalanta, then a result against Man City. And he stays for another couple of years. It's got it's got to be on it's got to be on the <laughs> performance though, Jack, to, to sort of answer your question a bit. Like it's 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 less about the result at this point for me, because we know they can get results in the 94th minute without playing well. It's can you start solving the problems? And if you can then I'll have some faith in you. But if there's if nothing changes or if it gets worse, it's it's that's the problem. It's about performance for me at this point, which is a strange thing to say. But United can get results without performances. That a, a scrappy win that against Tottenham. That much has always been abundantly clear. Yeah. yeah, a scrappy win against Tottenham may show zero progress whatsoever and it's still cause for concern. Okay. All right. Well, let's get a little bit deeper into these problems, into this situation. And and I suppose it's over to you two to, to work out this ranking and let's talk about some problems and then also some solutions. Yeah. So, I mean, we have talked about United's problems over the last year or so, and some of this will be familiar territory, but we can drill a little bit deeper into it. And what I've done is I've picked out a sort of 3-2-1 ranking of the issues at play here at Manchester United. And I've tried to condense them into three and make them kind of overarching themes. And then what I'm going to do, because I'm evil, is I'm going to throw I'm going to explain what the problem is and then I'm going to give it to Dean and go, fix it, mate, and just wish him the best of luck because I don't know what, how he's going to do it. So that's going to be the pattern. And I shall start at number three here. And it's the fact that it is a badly coached team and a poorly, a poorly set up team. 
And it's again, it's something we have said for, you know, six to six to 12 months. The team structure seems off. But most recently, I think the evidence has laid in like in the poor pressing, the really, really bad pressing structure of this team. And it's not something I'm used to seeing from a top team because I work for Southampton. So every week I watch a perfectly coached press from a team who have spent most of the last three years in the relegation zone. So the last thing I expect to see when watching a super club is a team press this disjointedly. And it's been an issue that's exacerbated this season. I think goal number one against Liverpool is probably a perfect picture of it. You've got some bad decisions from Mason Greenwood and Amran Wan-Bissaka in terms of choosing to engage and push up. And you've got some perhaps some bad decisions on the other end from his t- from their teammates who then don't necessarily follow with them. So pressing is about doing it in unison, but it's about doing it properly. And Greenwood makes a bad call. Wan-Bissaka makes a bad call. A 40-yard gap appears. And Liverpool, four, five seconds later, have the ball in the back of the net. You feel sorry for Harry Maguire on goal one. I don't know what he's supposed to do. I don't know what Fred McTominay is supposed to do either when a 40-yard gap appears in the middle of the pitch. And this is something we saw against Atalanta as well. They basically, the way they pressed made it a 4-2-4 with Bruno pushing right up with Ronaldo. And again, this 40-yard square gap in the middle for Fred McTominay with no one in it. It's bizarre. It's really, really bizarre. And look, pressing isn't just about running at people. It's, it's quite a finely tuned dynamic by this point. We've seen lots of different teams over the last five years really perfect this art and it's about acting on triggers it's about pressing in unison it's about pressing at a certain angle to cut off passing lanes and if one player presses the rest of them need to follow you can't just press with one and that's what we're seeing with United quite a lot at the moment I saw it against Villa, Everton, Leicester, Southampton, Atalanta, a couple but basically every game one player presses no one else goes it's the easiest thing in the world to play a one-two around one player that presses. And then you've just passed him. You've bypassed one player. What's the point? And you have an overload. Yeah. What's the point in, in that? And it's weird because this has become an issue that has been spotlighted quite a lot more heavily this season than last season because it wasn't that much of an issue last season because they defended deeper last season. And now I think because they're playing badly, they're, they're doing a lot of running. Like they're trying to press... That, you know, Ronaldo, Bruno, Greenwood, they're trying to show the crowd, the old Trafford crowd, we, you know, we want to we wanna, we wanna hunt for this ball. You know, we're with you. We're putting the effort in. But if you press badly, it's the worst strategy in the world. It's like playing seven aside on a Monday night with your friends and one guy runs up and you just pass around him. It's honestly that simple. Like, the, the harder they try to show they care, the worse they look because they're not pressing properly because they've not been coached. And this morning I read a piece in The Athletic from Laurie Whitwell and a couple of others and there was a quote in there that raised my eyebrows but perfectly supports what we're talking about here he said Solskjaer is said to have given an instruction to press high on Liverpool but players were confused by the coordination because in training United do not train much pressing with an explanation being that the strategy under Oli is that for the man nearest the ball to close down the opponent in possession while the rest of the team track back and get into shape so that's one nor the other is it right it's not pressing and it's not dropping it as a team into a low block because you're outnumbered either way. It doesn't make any sense. Like pressing is not running at people. Pressing is a fine-tuned art nowadays. It really is that specific and it's not, it's, we're not seeing it at Old Trafford. And this is, this is one of the major problems this season, exacerbated by the fact that they're desperate. The players are desperate to show the crowd that they care and they want to run and they want to hunt for it. 
and they're doing it wrong. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, Dean, to take it onwards then and, and look at solutions. Yeah, this is, you know, the manager is, is one thing here, but there's also, you know, a coaching staff here. And there was there was murmurs of this early on when, when Cristiano Ronaldo came back that he said, you know, that the coaching wasn't at the level that he expected when he returned to the club. And, you know, that goes beyond Oli. It goes all the way through his coaching staff. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you look at Solskjaer on a weekly basis when when the camera zooms in on him, you'll see every week the guy that sat there right next to him, Kieran McKenna. A lot of people won't know his name. They won't know who he is. But he's the guy that's always by Solskjaer's side. He's often the guy that pointing to the screen and showing them stuff. And you probably saw him most recently in that Atalanta game when United fell behind and... um he was showing Solskjaer. I think he was actually pointing out a little push at the time, um, the tiniest push I've ever seen. But it was uh, it was something they might be able to fall back on later on if they lost the game. But yeah, somebody like Kieran McKenna, who you know, he's thirty five years old, he's very young himself. He's had a you know, not much of a playing career. Spent some time at Tottenham, I think, as a player, and then then was also a coach. At Tottenham, but largely in their youth setup, and then goes into Man United into their youth setup, and basically gets elevated and elevated, and ends up as part of Solskjaer's coaching staff alongside the man himself and Michael Carrick, and then there's Mike Phelan as well, who's the older head. But I don't know. I've heard mixed. I've heard mixed reviews of Mike Phelan. No doubt that these guys are united through and through. That is something that they have harped on about throughout Ollie's reign. That's so important to them. Ultimately, it's not proving enough. And, you know, there are different ways to to use your attacking players in terms of closing down play. What Ollie's talking about in terms of the nearest man closing the ball, that's what he was. That's what he did as a player. It, that That's how I was brought up as a player. Like pressing wasn't a thing really in the 90s when Ollie was playing. And, I, you know, I was a forward myself and I remember like getting coached by some very good coaches who now would have... You know, the, the the way that forwards are coached now will be completely different to 20 years ago. Of course it will be. And so it should be. I just feel like Ollie's still teaching forwards to close down the way that he closed down. And there was nothing wrong with that when he was doing it at all. Now it doesn't really work, especially at the top, top end of football. You might get away with it. Championship, maybe League One and so on, so forth. But not against Liverpool, not against Liverpool, I'm afraid. And yeah, so what you need now is somebody who's sending out clear messages to fix this. And if they can't find a coach to come in as part of this setup and help him, then obviously you you seriously do need to consider who you would bring in to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Look, personally, under, in a world where there's no pressure, I'd like Ten Hag to come in from Ajax. Like, if you just had a clean slate here, if you were like, okay, there's no pressure on you right now. We're fresh. Say you came out the Ferguson era and we're like, we're going to try something new. Ten Hag, here you go. Your style of play is fast passing, pressing, attacking, exciting play. Showing everybody what you can do at Ajax. You've, you've won the Eredivisie. You've got to the semifinals of the Champions League. You're ready to break through the barrier and go on and manage an elite club. Here's your opportunity. And I, I think that, Given a few years, somebody like Ten Hag would do a fantastic job at Man United. I really do. And as I'm told, he is one of the only people in a job right now that United would actually consider in some circumstances if they couldn't get their top picks. But I don't see them doing it. It's a risk. Mm. Mid-season feels difficult, doesn't it? I just One of the examples I keep coming back to here is that you don't 
obviously a lot of people now want to change in manager and the pressure's on Ollie. You can add coaches to the setup, right? As you're basically alluding to Jack to kind of help alleviate this or, or and, and specifically here, bring in a coach who could teach the team how to press properly. And there are people out there. I don't know that many of them, but there will be people out there that could come in and do this. I don't know how they'd slot into a dynamic of United through and through Kieran McKenna and, and Mike Phelan and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But one example I'd bring up is Danny Roll, who went from Leipzig to Southampton with Ralph Hasenhuttl, and then Hansi Flick took him for Bayern Munich. And now Hansi Flick has signed him and employed him as the German national team, sort of like one of the coaches. So he has followed Ralph Hasenhuttl from Leipzig to Southampton and then gone to Bayern and then gone to Germany. He's a very, very good coach. And no doubt about it, he can coach the pressing systems that we've seen from Hasenhutl and from Flick over the last four years. There Only if the manager wants to instill it though, right? Of course, but there does seem to be a willingness from Solskjaer here to press. What the, what the, the, the film is telling me that he wants to do it. He's just not really sure how to go about teaching them how to do it and the players aren't sure what's happening. So there are coaches out there that you could come in and be like, like it's no different really to Liverpool hiring Thomas Gronemark as a, as a throwing coach. It's a specific part of playing this sport and you could hire someone like Danny Roll and you could bring him in if you didn't want to chop the head off the snake, that is. Ultimately, the fix is to go for a new coach <laughs> and and part ways with Solskjaer. But look, I've, I've probably given him more leeway than most people have. I definitely have, to be honest. But at this point, you just have to hold your hands up and say that he's not going to cut it. You have to go for Antonio Conte at this point as the fix. He's available. He's ready for the job. He wants the job. In the past 10 years, he's won four Italian titles, one English title. He's gone into clubs and turned them into winners quickly. He's not one for the long haul. No, he's not going to be there for four or five years. But United, they they don't need that right now. They need someone to go in there with clear messages a winning mentality. Look, he might not he might not fix that specific thing in terms of pressing because it's not something typically he'll he'll do. But what he will do is he'll find he'll fix the structure of the team, will change the discipline of the players, the way that they play the game, the way they approach games, this game planning will be so much better, so much more assured. The players will be left in no doubt of what is expected of, of them. They'll be a bit scared of him. They're not scared of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. All of these things matter. Most of all, You'll have a coach in charge that can actually go head to head with Klopp, Tuchel and Pep. And actually, you can go into that game feeling like you have somebody that is worthy of competing with those guys. That you're going into it on an even keel. Right now, United are at a disadvantage because they've got a coach who isn't as good at his job as those three are. And if they want to compete for titles, if they want to go and win the Champions League, want to get back to where they were then you have to employ somebody who's got the credentials to do it, ultimately. I understand the reasons that Solskjaer has been in the job as long as he was. And, you know, in some ways, I respect the fact that they've been so loyal to him to give him every opportunity to do that because it's rare in football that you get so much time. And they've given him that. Maybe he'll even get towards the end of the season and he'll get to drag this out longer. But ultimately, I think what we're seeing is... We've seen it in Tuchel, particularly going into Chelsea and transforming it so fast. Conte's the fix. Yeah, you don't yeah, have think- to press. You don't have to press. It's just that if you are going to press, just press properly. You know, it's one it's one or the other. And Conte will, will do a mid-block and he won't press so heavily and that will be kinder on Ronaldo's legs. It will be kinder on everybody else. It will change the team dramatically. But I'm not saying that you have to press. It's just that if you do it badly, 
you go on a run of performances like this. Yeah, I mean, and it takes us back to a couple of points, right? Is that, you know, up to this point, it felt like United were, if not building for the long term, then at least, you know, visions were midterm. It wasn't an immediate success needed in order to put that pressure on. And that's why I think you look at what Ollie's done over the last couple of years and say, he steadied the ship, right? He leaves United. If United, if he leaves United today, he'll leave United in a better position than when he found them. I think it is probably oh, yeah, a fair absolutely. thing to say in terms of the culture of the club, in terms of all the things around it. Now, that's not to suggest that Jose Mourinho was a bad manager, because I think you look back and you say the silverware, the last silverware that Manchester United won was under Jose Mourinho, right? That is, that's where we are. If, if it's silverware that United wanted, then they made the wrong decision there. But if they wanted to stabilize and look long term, then I think Ollie leaves them in a better place than where he found them. But... I think there's a point now that you've come to where United signed Rafael Varane and Cristiano Ronaldo this summer. That is not long-term planning. At that point, you're going, okay, we're abandoning all the long-term planning for immediate success. And therefore, you have a manager who is not able to provide that immediate success. So that you've got to give credit to Solskjaer for what he's done, for setting the ship. You've also got to look at it and go, he cannot take this club any further from what we're seeing at the very current point. And therefore, you need someone who's going to come in and make a change immediately. Now, that doesn't mean United are going to win titles this year. You know, it does, I mean, I think we talked about the start, Dean, the fact that the title race was as good as maybe it's ever been. And, and there are, they're going to have to c- try and compete with probably three of the four best clubs in Europe right now if they're going to try and win anything on a domestic level or a European level. And that leaves a lot of questions to be answered. But as you say, Conte is someone who could come in and have that conversation and be in that conversation and try and change the mentality and the tactical setup of the club in order to be able to compete with them. Mm. What's your second issue, Sam? So, yeah, number two is the fact that Jaden Sancho can't really get on the pitch at the moment. Now, I understand that well, he hasn't played that well for United early doors. He, he just hasn't. That's that's fair enough to say. And Marcus Vashup has come back into the team and looks pretty good, if you ask me. Mason Greenwood has had a very good start to the season. So it's a busy area of the pitch. And Pogba has, again, played his best football throughout the year the calendar year, from the left wing. So it's a busy area of the pitch, but you signed Jaden Sancho after one year and a bit of chasing him and you signed him for like £72 million or something like that and there's no role for him. And this has to be a massive concern because Sancho is a fantastic player, but as uh, one of my friends, Kristen Henniage, uh, New York City FC content creator, tweeted, I thought this really struck a chord. He said... It's annoying to see such a concerted effort to sign Jadon Sancho, followed by no real plan to utilise him. It does seem a bit weird that they spent so long going for him, only to be like, oh yeah, okay, let's um, let's figure out what we'll do with him later. And ultimately, there needs to be a role for Jadon Sancho at Manchester United because he's a marquee signing and he's a phenomenal player. Problem is, left wing's a bit busy, isn't it? Rashford, Pogba and whoever... They had to change formation under, say, Conte and play 3-4-3. Bruno Fernandes may end up playing over on the on the, the kind of faux left wing role and cutting into the right because that's the pocket he enjoys. So then you look to the right wing. You go, well, look, no problem. Jaden Sancho can play right wing. He played right wing for Dortmund for ages. The issue there is that there's no real partnerships for him to cling on to. So Sancho as a player is not that, he's not fast. He, he doesn't blow the lid off the defence. He's not Rashford, he doesn't run in behind. He's not speedy. He's quick and agile. But he wants to play in smaller spaces. He wants to combine with players. He wants to play one-twos. He wants a fullback overlapping him. He wants him to create space for him, duck in. He's not getting that with Wambasaka, is he? We know that. Wambasaka is not a particular threat moving forward. 
most opposing teams let Wan-Bissaka have the ball and don't close him down because they're pretty sure that he won't hurt them. So Sancho is really suffering. There's no role and there's no partnership for him to build with a fullback. There's no partnership for him to build with a midfielder. There's no real role for him. And so they need to fix that somehow. And I, I don't really know how it's done mid-season, but the fact that you've signed this player after a year of trying for so much money and he just feels a bit like an afterthought and he feels like he's in a bit of a hole with no way out. It's really sad. And it's a massive problem that I guess United were kind of skating over while they were winning. But as the results have turned, this then becomes a clear issue. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a tragedy, really, when you see Sancho just sat on the bench in the Liverpool game, not getting used. Over the course of this season so far, you'd look at his stats and you say, oh, 11 games, no goals, no assists. Six of them were starts. So he has had opportunity. The problem is he hasn't had the consistency of opportunity that he needs to feel part of this team. It feels like he'll get a chance, but if he doesn't take it, he's straight back on the bench. I think he played started two games in a row at one point. But ultimately, every appearance feels like an audition almost for Jadon Sancho right now. And that's not how it should be for him. He should be supported. He should be given a consistent run of matches, or at least three games, you know, just to to feel his way and be part of this team, if you can call Man United a team. So he needs patience. He needs love. And we've seen him work his way back from difficult moments before. It's happened a couple of times at Dortmund, particularly last season in the first half of the season. He didn't start well at all. His stats were... It was equally bad, to be honest. Um, second half of the season, got going again. So, yeah, let's find a role for him. Look, personally, I don't see why he shouldn't get that run on the left side, but obviously there are more obstructions there because Rashford's back now and you know, Pogba was there earlier in the season. It's going to be difficult. So let, let's try him on the right. And I guess one solution would be that one of the considerations for... Solskjaer and his coaching staff at the beginning of this season was to try a back three, to play one bissaka on the right side of that back three and to sign a, a new right back. And they were looking at Kieran Trippier. So if we're looking at that structure and then you say, okay, maybe Sancho can start to fit into this a bit better. Maybe maybe as a right-sided attacker, when you've got somebody like Kieran Trippier to combine with, even if you don't sign Trippier, maybe you bring in Dalo. Dalo gets a, a chance to, to impress down that flank and he can be shored up behind him by Wambasaka coming across and, and doing a job that he can do very well. But ultimately, yeah, maybe that's what Sancho needs. Just to reconfigure the side slightly to complement him and to help him. We're talking about here one of the most exciting footballers that England have produced in a long time. We're talking about somebody that during his time at Dortmund actually grew in terms of work rate and pressing. It's kind of ingrained in him now to to have those traits within him. I think he'll be shocked at the way United are told to sit off at times. I don't think that that will be part of his culture really at this point. I saw somebody make the argument that one of the reasons that they feel, it was somebody at Dortmund, I can't remember who it was, it was one of the directors said that they were sad to see what was happening and they felt that because Sancho's not a regular part of the England setup, perhaps that's why Solskjaer doesn't feel the need to play him as much as he does some of the other players who are getting that regular international run. I, I don't personally think that that is a reason. I think if anything, that could be an, used an excuse. Solskjaer said recently that Sancho was a player they were looking at for over the next 10 years. 10 years! 
Like, you know, you've, you can sign Jaden Sancho and use him brilliantly in the next 10 months. Not, not looking at him as, of course, he could be great over 10 years, yeah, but he could also be great to you right now. Find a way to get a tune out of him because if you don't, somebody else will. And it's another thing, really, that's not going to help Solskjaer when he. When we look back, whenever he does leave this this job and you look back and you say, okay, yeah, you spent two years signing one of the most exciting talents in European football, to be honest. A lot of clubs wanted him. You got him. You didn't play him. Your yeah. fault, mate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I think maybe it comes back to, to Sam's point in terms of, you know, yes, if you need to use a, a wing back on that side, you need to use an attacking fullback. It doesn't need to be a wing back. It doesn't it doesn't need to be five at the back for for Jane Sancho to thrive. You know, Diego Dalot has been really impressive for for lots of different people. I thought it was good for AC Milan last year without necessarily setting the world on fire. I thought it was good for AC Milan last year as they massively improved to finish in the Champions League spot. He obviously then stepped up for, for Portugal during the Euros and got that call up with Jao Cancelo, who's probably the best right back in the world right now, you know, get falling out of the squad. And suddenly you get Dallas come in. He comes in for Nelson Semedo at the end of that group stage. He then starts the next game. And I thought he was really impressive in very, very, you know, difficult circumstances. I think and he was probably excellent the at the under 21s just before that. And, and he, he went was, he went tournament to tournament and he was good. So to be able to not utilize him, look, that doesn't mean that everybody can make those transitions. It doesn't mean that everybody is able to play in those these spots. But I do think there's a point to be made that you're using a, a, a fullback and you need to look at someone who is going to kick on and give Jaden Sancho what he needs to thrive. Then giving Diogo Dalot a chance in there doesn't feel like too bad an idea. And it's not like it's been desperate when he's played for Man United. Yes, he hasn't, again, set the world on fire. He hasn't been given too many opportunities, nor has Jadon Sancho. But you've got to utilise players that work in conjunction with each other. And right now, it feels like we're not getting that at all. I don't think wan unfortunately, doesn't... I don't think he works in conjunction with with anybody. He's got his He's got his skills... He has his positives. He has his weaknesses. But one of the big weaknesses is he doesn't really feel like he has a bond with anybody. There's no parallel. There's no partnership with anybody on the pitch. I, I'll give you the big clue here. This, here's how you know. Here's how you know what what should happen. Imagine Manchester United under Antonio Conte, Zinedine Zidane, or Eric Ten Hag. Mbappé doesn't play for those teams. Mm. He just do, he just doesn't he just doesn't play for those managers. So. Interesting. It's 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 tough. It's tough. It is unless uh, he plays the right centre back spot. Unless they can convert him into that centre back who yeah. you know who is able to to just duck <laughs> the, in the new Matteo Damian. Well, if he can make <laughs> Aspilicueta into a, to a right centre back, I think he could probably do a job with Wamba Saka too. So there might you go. Be. Might be. Yeah. Maybe. Might be. But yeah, that's 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 the game. I mean, I think I think that the the identity of the right back is a is an obstacle for Sancho on the right. I think the crowded room uh, on the left is an obstacle for Sancho. I mean, look, he's not the only one that's barely seen any playing time or, or not seen enough. I feel very sorry for Edinson Cavani as just a little aside right now. It, what position he has to play on the pitch for 15 minutes at the end of the game is anyone, it's literally anyone's guess. He could be up front, but he probably won't be. Probably on the left wing, maybe centre mid. Uh, counting the days till we see Cavani at right back for 10 minutes at the end of the game. You know, there's no role for him either. It is a crowded, crowded room. It's difficult for, for players to get that playing time. Solskjaer doesn't really rotate very much. And Lingard's in that conversation as well. So Sancho's and, not the yeah, only just one. Just quiet, the quiet member mention of Donny van der Beek here. And yeah, and Donny van der Beek. But I mean, like Sancho's the one that we pick out. He's not the only one, but he's the one you pick out because he's the one you spent a year chasing. He's the one you spent 70-odd million on. He's the one that should have a role above all others. 
Absolutely. All right, let's go on to our final point then, Sam. Yeah, so it's the familiar old beast of this midfield balance is so off, isn't it? It's just so off. And it's a it's a root cause for a lot of problems. And critically, I think this is the main problem. And so why I've put it at number one, it would be a problem for any manager because Jaden Sancho, sure, Eric Ten Hag will find a role for you. The pressing issues, fine. Antonio Conte will sort out your defensive setup. I don't know what they're going to do. Anyone, anyone in the world would do with this midfield because it's a badly balanced setup. We all know by now that you have to play McTominay and Fred together because neither of them can do the role themselves. They're not good enough to do it. And you also know that while even when they play together, it's probably not good enough. When you take them out of the equation, it gets even worse. Fred frequently doesn't play that well for United, but then you take him off and it all goes down the pan which really does tell you something. They've started to try and reintegrate Paul Pogba as a number six recently. That's very dangerous. We have enough evidence to suggest that that doesn't work. Again, I go back to the pressing issues and the amount of space these players are being asked to play in on a regular basis. This 40-yard gap in the middle in a 4-2-4 formation. It's very, very unhealthy for any midfielder in the world, let alone players that are, frankly, not good enough to play for this team in, in, in McTominay and Fred. They have their issues, they have their strengths, but they can't do this. I mean, Marco Verratti would be appalled at being dropped into this midfield and this structure. So I really do feel sorry for these two at some points. And the re- again, the reason it's number one is I don't know what you do with this. I feel like you probably have to hit the January market because even if Conte came in and said, right, we're going to play 3-5-2, we're going to follow our Inter blueprint from last season, it'll all look really good around the edges and through the centre-backs. And up top, you'd have you know seven options to choose from. What the hell is he going to do in midfield? He's going to have to bring in Emmanuel Matic again, isn't he? To play yeah, the Marcelo Brozovic role. You'd block it out, wouldn't you? That's what, that's what Conte would do. That I suppose this is the question, Sam. And, you know, there's one thing saying the midfield balance is off and you're absolutely spot on. And it is a massive problem and it needs to be addressed in the market as much as anything else. And I'm sure we'll come on to that, Dean. But, you know, enterprising managers find a way through it as well. Conte mm. will block it out. It won't It won't be perfect. It's not going to sort out the balance of this midfield. It will be one of those things that facilitates some sort of structure by, by finding a way to just get bodies into there. There won't be a 40-yard gap because no. Conte will block it out with bodies. And, and, and it doesn't fix the issue. It papers over the cracks in some ways. But until you can get someone in... And address the structure, address all of it. The 40-yard gap isn't just to do with the midfield pivot. It's to do with everyone else around them as well, right? Yeah. And the fact that there's no structure around the team to stop that becoming an issue. And, and watching all that happen in real time, I would say is, yes, the fault of a not balanced squad, but also the fault of not being able to facilitate answers to a lack of balance in that squad. You have to find an answer there. And that, I think, is probably the key element here. Yes, quite possibly. I mean, obviously, we know that, that at the Atalanta game in particular, the gap is not just because of McTominay and Fred stood three yards from the centre-backs. It's because Bruno Ronaldo are pressing. So there is there is no real structure to the team, yes. But, Dean, what's your fix? Is it just January? Yeah, I mean, and in short term, you're right. You would, ha- you would have to find ways to, to get the best out of the squad that you've already got and find roles for them. And I do think Matic and Van der Beek are being massively overlooked at the moment. I do think if you were looking at you know, ways to structure three men across the the middle. You could find ways to kind of find a, a blend of Matic, Van der Beek, and somebody else in between that could balance that out. Uh, I'm not saying against Liverpool particularly. I'd I'd have gambled on that, but I think that would have to be Fred for the mobility. 
Probably we, would be. We have yeah, to recognise that Matic is a shadow of his of his peak powers. But absolutely. But if you were just using him to break up play and pass, if you protect him, he can do that. Like he was one of the best in the world at that at one point. Like he was. He's an expert in that position, right? He just hasn't got the legs to carry it out as effectively as he once could have. So, and he's also a leader and an, ex- an experienced head in there, which I think United lack at times. So, I think that they could be utilizing that. And I think if Conte came in, then he would find a way of getting a better use out of the squad. But ultimately, yeah, they, they need to go into the transfer market. January is not the, really the time to do that. I don't think that the right players are going to be there. Personally, I think the number one fix for it is Declan Rice. I think that you look at Declan Rice, yes, he's going to be expensive. He's he's probably going to cost you more than Jaden Sancho cost you. But he's worth it. He's absolutely worth it. We are at the stage with Declan Rice where there is no longer any risk attached to signing this guy for another Premier League team. He is at least a 7 out of 10 every single week. He plays every single minute for West Ham in the Premier League. He plays every minute he possibly can for England when he's available. If they are absolutely intent on getting to where they want to be, then just go and get him. Don't waste any time trying to trying to find alternatives. Going to chew a many, he was going to be a gamble. He's a great footballer, obviously. I mean, I've only seen half the not even half the amount I've seen of Declan Rice, but from scouting reports and everything, like Chouameni is going to be a great player, but getting him to fit in at Old Trafford at a time like this, massive risk. Declan Rice has got the personality, he's got the talent. He knows a lot of the players in that squad. We can see that United want a, a kind of English core to what they're doing over the coming years. He'll fit in with that. He's open to a move. He loves West Ham, but his head was turned in the summer when, when Chelsea were looking at signing him. If United don't sign him, then he's going to end up at one of their rivals and they'll fall even further behind. I just feel like if you were, were this intent on going over after Jaden Sancho, you're not even going to play, go after Declan Rice, who absolutely could fix a huge hole in the middle of your team. I just worried that he might not be a six anymore. I think he's a six. He's a six right now, and the best thing about him is that going forward, he won't be. He'll be an eight, and that's what's even better for him because whoever the manager is can kind of find a way to develop players around him so that Declan Rice can have that freedom that he wants to be. He wants to be a box-to-box player. It's clear that he wants to get involved in goals more and stuff like that, but right now, his strength is as a number six, and that's where West Ham's still playing there. I think yeah. you might need to. I think you might need to go and buy Calvin Phillips as well if you're going to do that. <laughs> and you want to do that English core thing? I, I'll be perfectly I honest. I don't think no. he's going to go from Leeds to Manchester. I don't United, think Calvin Phillips is going to go as a Leeds-born and bred player to, to Manchester United. Right? I, I absolutely agree with you. But I think that Phillips is. Pro- I would argue maybe more in the mould that United need than Rice is. Now that's not saying he's as good a player, right? I'm not. I'm not looking at them and saying that they are similar levels of players. I think Rice is a superior player here. If you're looking at this. I'm just not completely convinced that you're sorting out the problem by solving De- uh, by signing Declan Rice. I think, I think you, that- could, you could find him a little bit because you know he wants to open up and go 50 yards, but he doesn't have to do that. And if we all agree that they need a total overhaul, <laughs> oh, <laughs> then yeah. they're going to need to buy more than one player. I think it'd be so funny if they ended up signing Rice and Phillips, but yeah, you're right. Phillips isn't going to end up there, is he? It's just not going to happen. It's just, it's just not. It's just non-star. I mean, Phillips, listen, there's actually an, an opportunity for him to leave Leeds in the summer. I, I do think there's a chance that Phillips leaves soon because he's got a bit of a standoff over his next contract. Mm. Um, and he's a bit concerned about the way the club are heading. But even if that happens, like 
I've heard Newcastle might come in for him and he, he might look down that route. And if I think that you'll probably get one of the big guns anyway, look towards Calvin Phillips, but it's not going to be Man United. He's, I know Cantona once went from Leeds to Man United, but I think Leeds have regretted that ever since. And I don't see them making the same mistake again. Yeah, agreed. Also, agreed. Jack, remember that Real Madrid play with a number six who frequently runs into the opposition box. In Casemiro, yes, I, know, they, I just they, think um, Rice would be awesome. Like he's got such an unbelievable engine on him; it doesn't even matter. Like he could, he could do it. I, I just think he would be such a good fit for this team right now. And as I say, the personality and the drive that he's got, and the will to win, all these elements were completely missing from that Man United team. The des- I hate to talk about desire because I feel like it should shouldn't be an issue with players that are playing at the highest possible level in one of the biggest fixtures in world football. But there was just no energy on, and it seemed, to be honest, interest from half that, you know, on live score yesterday, I battered Paul Pogba and I said, it's, I'm just sick of the guy and I just want him to move on now. And it's not that I don't like Paul Pogba. I've, I really like him as a footballer. I think he's seems like a, actually a really nice guy as well from everybody that I know that's spent any time with him. I just think that Man United and Paul Pogba is a relationship that does not work and they need to part ways for for the best for both parties. And what that would allow is for Pogba's wages to be opened up. Look, Declan Rice does not come cheap. Declan Rice is going to cost almost 200 grand a week from what from what I've heard when he does go to move on because that's the, the bracket that he now comes in to as an integral part of this England squad and the kind of level of football that he's playing. So he's going to cost a lot, but Pogba's earning a lot of money already. And I think that by letting Pogba go, you can bring in someone like Declan Rice without too much concern. Obviously, there's going to be a a transfer fee of £100 million. And I know that's not easy to get to at this, these times, but I'm sure Man United could do it. Okay. All righty. Well, they are three massive problems at Manchester United and some of the ways that we think they Hang could on, we've got 10 more. Fix. We've got 10 more. <laughs> <laughs> we could spend all day and all night on it, but I think that's what we're going to take from here. There's a lot to see at Old Trafford and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see exactly how this one plays out. But for now, that's our fixes for Manchester United. After the break, we've got a medal of the week. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Rags FC. It's time for my favourite part of any given week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Jose Mourinho. No, boo. Welcome welcome back, sir. Welcome back. It's been a while. (laughs) I think he probably was last picked for a reason similar to this, but here we go. Mourinho's back. Rubbish week for him. Two matches went pretty badly really uh the first one europa conference rotated his squad lost 6-1 to bodo glimt then threw half his squad under the bus afterwards because he'd rotated his team felt he was giving an opportunity to a few players that you know needed a chance to prove that they could be in the the team for Serie A matches and they were they were 2-1 down at half time i think to call it a reserve team is actually a bit of a stretch because Rui patricio was in goal that's a ten million pound signing, a goalkeeper, a very good goalkeeper, and changes were made in the second half. And by the hour mark, you had Cristante, Mkhitaryan, Tammy Abraham, and their player of the season, Pellegrini, on the pitch. They do just as badly. To be honest, they might have done worse. They went on to concede four more goals in that second half. At the weekend, Mourinho reacts to this defeat, which is his biggest ever defeat, by picking on five of the players that he feels underperformed. Kumbula, Diawara, Calafiore, VR, 
and Mayoral, and he banishes them to the stands. And he said, after a game like that, it's always difficult from an emotional perspective. This is a message for the dressing room. That game will remain in my history. And for me, it's difficult to forgive them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice one, Jose. So this is the guy who is the highest paid coach in Roma's history. One of the highest paid coaches in Serie A's history. Coach them. If you don't think they're up to it, coach them. Don't give them one opportunity and then say, that's it, you're rubbish. You've conceded six goals. Find a way to fix it. First of all, during the match, don't make the result worse. And secondly, try and get some morale back. He says he wants these. He thinks these guys are going to come back from it fine. I don't. He's blowing up early, but even by Mourinho's standards. This usually takes about two and a half seasons. It's taken about three months alienating members of his squad like this. He spent £90 million in the summer, Jose Mourinho, after going into Roma. Jack said he thought they might win the league. I don't. I mean, he needs to stop being a melon and get back to being a coach. Yeah, uh, they ended Napoli's perfect start the weekend. Pretty good weekend, I think. For, oh, for by the way, yeah, sorry, I missed out the second point. He was sent off in the game against Napoli. <laughs> he was sent off. <laughs> Completely missed out the fact that he was sent off for getting two yellow cards. I've never seen a manager get two <laughs> yellow cards. Uh, both of them for dissent. The second one actually was for petulance because he was a tantrum. Dylan's had some good tantrums recently and I think Jose Mourinho's was actually better. The way he, I don't know what he kicked but um, it was bigger than a water bottle. I know that much. It's like a little camera stand, I think. And he's standing there in his T-shirt like a grumpy three-year-old. <laughs> With his thumb And up. I'm just like, grow up, Mourinho. Come <laughs> I on. enjoyed you want, it. You want your players to show maturity and experience and show that they're up to it. And you're acting like this on the sidelines because the referees made some bad decisions. Come on, you melon. Disagree. I thought it was great fun. Enjoyed it a lot. Four <laughs> coaches got sent off in Serie A this weekend. That was going to be my things I loved to begin with. I decided it was better to talk about the goals in La Liga, but yeah. everyone gets sent off. I'm pretty, I'm pretty keen. I reckon Mourinho is going to slam it. It's fine. I don't, maybe, maybe he won't win the league. Maybe, maybe he will. Gone by March. Um, but I think they'll get a Champions League spot still. It's happening. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be good in Rome. And Mourinho, yeah, he had a bit of a temper tantrum, but I think it's okay. I think it's all right. Everything's going to be fine, ladies and gentlemen. Everything's I don't know, mate. It's early. It's early to be doing this. They love I this. Did. I love this. Like, as someone who feels really at home with angry cultures, like, I, I, I want my managers to be doing this kind of madness on the sideline. I want them to be yelling and getting sent off and uh, giving the, the referee petulant thumbs up. That's what I'm after, mate. Okay. That's what I want to see more of from Marco Silva, preferably, at Fulham. I want him to. I want him to be like sarcastically applauding the ref. You're not getting be... that from Marco Silva. Exactly. Yeah, I want a bit of passion. Mourinho gives you that. Gives you that all day long. Right. It's the gibberish siren. Yeah, I'm back in the seat. Sam forgot. I didn't forget. I'll take next week. I got one. Okay. Anyway, I was team. listening. Dean and I tag I had... team like. Uh, I was in the car the other day. Scotty too hotty. And whoever he partnered with. God, I've just great, forgotten. Great references from the boys today. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the car the other day and a song came on the radio and I was like, I hate this song so much. And I was like, oh, this could be a gibberish ranking to use in the future. What what other songs do I hate? I'm going to quickly write three down. And I thought about it. So, Jack, I'm going to name the songs. I can't sing, but you can. So you, I want, you'll, you'll know all the songs. All right. So you can, you can just let people know what they are in mm-hmm. case people don't know them by the song yeah, titles. Yeah. Good idea. At number three, It's Blue by Eiffel 65. No, that's a banger. That's a great tune. 
Do you want me to sing do, it? Do, uh, I'm blue, dabba dee dabba die, dabba dee dabba die, dabba dee dabba die. Does my absolute head in that Loved song. Loved it. And Great the track. music video. I, I think I know the all the words. Wow. <laughs> Can you do the rap? Can you do the verse? Yes. Go on. No. Oh, boo. You I know I don't perform you. on command. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, this was my favourite song when I was like song. seven. I hate that song so much. Anyway, it's, it's a fantastic tune. Why? Very why do you hate it so much? It just does, mate. I honestly, it's just a. Ira- it might be irrational, to be honest. It just, from the day I heard it, I hated it. Yeah, I, I can imagine if you grew up. How old were you when it was released? Uh, yeah, this is. I this think is if I was like, released. I think if you were like thirteen, fourteen, maybe a little bit older, you would have been like, oh no, don't yeah. like that at all. It's like I the crazy frog been... came out for me at that age, and I hated it loads. Yeah, Dean would have been at the wrong age for this. We, I think I was like seven or eight, so Jack, yeah. you'd have been a little bit, little bit younger. And it was nineteen ninety-eight. I was like fourteen, thirteen, or fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah. So, oh, hang on, fifteen I, maybe. I don't know. I'm, My mouth is rubbish. But anyway, yeah. You were probably oh, just starting to get into actual music and then therefore I this think came I out probably was. You're right, game. actually, because I started to get into actual music about 15. And yeah, I can remember actually being at school and people playing it on their, uh, what do they have, Walkmans or Walkmans, something in those days. Yeah. Um, you bring in a full record players into school. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, I hated it. Okay, right. What's it two? At two is Tom Jones' Sex Bomb. Okay, fair enough. Oh. Absolute classic. What are we Go doing? On, Why are you only having sex bomb, sex bomb? You're my sex bomb. I don't know actually the rest of the words, but it is a classic still. Yeah, I mean, people will probably recognize it from that little rendition anyway. I don't like Tom Jones for starters. Why? <laughs> is it because he shares always... your name? Well, he's actually you my uncle. He's my <laughs> uncle. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't really have reasons for a lot of these. They're just songs that really wind me up. And I always hated Tom Jones songs growing up. My aunt actually loves Tom Jones. And she used to go to all his concerts and stuff when she was growing up. And so I always tried to like like him because I see a lot of my aunt and she, I like her. But um, I remember once when I was a kid, I don't know, I was probably about the same age, actually. I don't know when this song was released, but it probably was about 2000 or something, I'm guessing. And I remember telling my mum one day, I was like, I don't think I've ever hated a song more than this Tom Jones sex bomb song. Um, I'm right, actually, it was released in 2000. And then that same day, I remember going to Old Trafford with my dad and we walked into the ground Sex Bombs playing by Tom Jones. I'm like, oh, fuck. Ew. we got to go, Dad. we got to go. I was like, they played Sex Bomb as soon as we walked in. I couldn't believe it. Hate it. Well, the good producer thing, George yeah. Producer George is just messaging saying, Sex Bomb is a classic to be fair, Dean. So you've alienated well, Do you know what? I was wondering about how George would, would take this, with this ranking. I was tempted mm-hmm. to get him involved in this because I know he likes his music and he's got opinions on this kind of stuff. There, there is um, some good news coming out of this is that you saying the phrase Sex Bomb has reminded me that Scott Hottie Hottie's wrestling partner was Grandmaster Sexy. <laughs> that was his name. Fantastic. <laughs> right. Dean, that takes us on to number one nicely. What you got? The worst song of all time and is Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell. Oh, is it? It is. It is horrendous. It is horrible. It literally makes me cringe. I, I have like this physical reaction to hearing that song. Sing it, Jack. 
Like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone when the morning comes. When the night is over, like a bat out of hell, I'll be gone, gone, gone. There you go. That's actually better than the actual song. Yeah, like you've done it. You, you've that's not fair because the, <laughs> the actual song doesn't sound as good as the way that you've just sung that. <laughs> that's quite annoying. Anyway, um... <laughs> there you go. Done. I, I like. You know what? I I grew up a bit with this album being played in the car. My dad used to like this album. I will. I, I will give you some credit in that I actually think that Battle of a Hell, the actual track, is probably the worst track on the album. Yeah, I don't hate Meatloaf, like, overall. It's like, I, I don't like them, but I don't despise them like I despise this song. Yeah, I mean, look, on that album, you got you took the words right out of my mouth, which is a classic. All Revved oh, yeah. Up with No Place to Go, which is a classic. Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, which is a classic. Paradise by the Dashboard Light, which is genuinely one of the maddest songs ever. It's like eight minutes long, and it's like a three separate songs rolled into one in sort of a weird little symphony. And then there's For Crying Out Loud. So there's a, there's a lot going on in this album that's to love. So I will give you the, the, the benefit of the doubt that Bat Out of Hell is the worst song on the album Bat Out of Hell. But I still don't think that makes it bad. It's horrible, mate. <laughs> it's such a bad song. Hmm. It's I'm, too I'm, far. I'm yeah, it's too far gone. It, it's. I'm too, I'm too far gone. Like it. I could be sick. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I've got. Even a, I'm looking at the guy's face. What's his name? What's the singer's uh, name? Um, Just seeing him, and I think of that song, and I'm like, mate, you've you've played a very horrible role in my life because I've heard this song a lot. The worst thing, actually, about that song is when. You're like growing up and you're going to like cheese clubs and stuff. I always play this song, always. And everyone loves it and they're drunk and they're jumping around. I'm like, sit down, you twats. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I mean, there's plenty of songs I dislike. I, I think you've done, you've done some songs a pretty big disservice there. But the one that I always put into this conversation that nobody else agrees with me on ever is I Cannot Stand Crazy in Love by Beyonce. I think it is one of the single worst songs ever written. It's Sing it, just Jack. no. I, I'm not singing it. I refuse. <laughs> I actually refuse. This is how deeply into this I am. I am crazy in love. Is an absolutely abhorrent track, and and that's where my that's where my line comes down on this. Yeah, so, I mean, every girl I've ever met loves that song, don't they? Yeah, I just don't get it. They just love. Well, I mean, they just love Beyonce, but. No, me. I love Beyonce. Like Beyonce is great. I just hate Crazy in Love. Like, I just I think it's awful. I think it's awfully written. I think the horn yeah. section in it is bizarre. Like none of it. Don't get on board with any of it. And there we are. Yeah, That's I mean, I've, I've never been offended by that one. But listen, I've been offended by those three. I've just told you, and you two aren't. So I guess we've all got. Maybe there's something about music that divides opinion. Yeah. I don't know. Is it yeah. a personal taste? <laughs> it's a bit like, I imagine it's a bit like football. Maybe Man United's <laughs> tenure with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in charge depends if you've liked it or not. Basically depends on whether you're a Man United fan or not, I think, is, uh, mm. is the ultimate answer. And with that, boys, we're going to call this a day. <laughs> I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Take it easy, gang. Peace. <laughs>